Final talk of our, I don't know if we have a series. Man, I had this clean, and now it's not. Yes, we know whose fault it is. And not only that, but it's still, oh my goodness gracious, offspring. Well, I've got some cleaner. I've got a spray bottle of cleaner, but that's just another step in the process. Okay. Our final discussion in our Dangerous Prayers. Uh, Still not too late. Grab your book if you haven't already. Utilize the tool over the next number of weeks um, to um, shift your prayer life. See what God would do if you are willing to step outside of what may be uh, a routine for you, what may be normal for you. Begin to pray uh, a little bit more open-handedly and see how God would shift your living, your life, your thinking, uh, your heartbeat towards Him uh, and see what would happen. So uh, I'm going to jump right in. There's five questions that this book asks you every day after you read the passage and the very short comments that go with it. And the last question that it asks you every day is probably one that seems to be the least spiritual, um, but it has been, for me, maybe one of the most impactful. Uh, And that question is, what do I need to do today? That's the last question of the prayer guide each day, it asks you, uh, what do I need to do today? Right? Pretty profound uh, when it comes to that. But how many times do you ask yourself that before you start your day? Uh, so there's number of reasons, number of reasons that this could be uh, impactful for us. Uh, number one, for just simply organizing your day, making sure you're productive. It has been that for me. But I want us to look at maybe some other layers of what this could do for us today. Uh, So let's act like this is Monday for a second, right? Here you are, you just woke up tomorrow morning and you have opened this up, you've uh, gone through your reading, you are now engaged in a time of prayer and you've come across this question, what do I need to do today? What would you write down? What are some typical answers that you would write down on a Monday morning? Or what are the answers you will write down tomorrow morning? Make copies. So that's prep for work for the day. Can I call that work prep so it's applicable to most of us? Because not all of us need to make copies. Right? But most of us have stuff to do to get ready for the day of work. Maybe gathering supplies, making copies, hooking up my trailer, whatever it is, going to the paint store, Home Depot. Whatever it is, right? So what else would you write down on a Monday morning? What do I need to do today? Get coffee. Get coffee. Nothing will operate if I don't do that first. The day will be a waste. Or at least I'll have a headache. What else? Laundry. Laundry. I never put that on my list. But I realize that some people need to. My wife does on her daily list, but it's never on my list. I don't know how that happens, right? It's on hers every day, but never on mine, right? What else do I need to do today? Groceries. This is not time to judge me, Shelly. All right, groceries. Need to get groceries. Give me a couple more. Work with me. Exercise. Work out. I work out. Y'all remember that song? That is exactly where I was going, yes. <laughs> Shouldn't have, but I did. All right, give me one more. Somebody give me something. Eat. Eat. Right? Jesus said man should not live on bread alone. Maybe you should fast today. Okay. So, here we go. What do I need to do today? We need to get ready for work. We need to get to coffee, laundry, groceries, workout. Who said workout? I mean, 
what do I need to do? Not what am I going to do today, right? I don't know. Uh, what do I, here's next question. That I, This is not in the book, but this is my follow-up question for you as we start our conversation. What do I wish I were doing today? Wish I were doing nothing? Finishing the to-do list? Yeah. Right? So just just a different direction for our question here to steer our conversation. And so here's what I need to be doing today. Here's what I have on my list of things that I want to be doing today, need to be doing today. Maybe I don't want to. I just need to. But then in the back of your mind, you've got that, man, I really wish I was doing this today instead. Right, so what falls on that list? Fishing. Fishing. So hobbies, right? So we got hobbies that we'd rather be doing. Uh, I'm going to put fishing in the hobbies. I wish I were enjoying my favorite hobbies today instead of getting ready for work today. Right? What else falls on that list? I wish I was working. I wish I was actually getting ready for work, right? Because I'm currently unemployed. Or maybe I'm employed at a place that I don't want to be employed, and I wish I were prepping for another job, right? Every day when I get ready to go to this job, it's a reminder that I don't want to go there. So it could be hobbies. I wish I were working at all, or... Somewhere else. Is that relevant? Right? So every time we write down a list of things that we need to do today, um, there's a good possibility that there is an opposing list of things you wish you were doing today. Right? There's always that conflict uh, of what I need to do and what I want to do. So here's a question. What role does discontentment play in your day? Right, you've got two conflicting lists. What role does discontentment play in your day? What, what impact does it have on the things that you need to be doing versus the things you want to be doing? How do, hmm? A big one. How so? Makes you unproductive. It kind of robs you of joy. Unproductive. Robbed of joy. What else did we just say? Lower quality. Uh, unproductive and lowers quality of whatever you do. So not only are you not doing as much, you're not doing it as well. And I just want you to know this is like a Sean moment. Y'all just derailed my talk and y'all jumped three notes down, but we're going with it, right? It's Tony's fault today. It's Tony's <laughs> fault today. Right? What else does discontentment, what role does it play in your day? What impact does it have on you? Think about it. You've got two lists that are competing against each other. Need to be doing this, but in the back of my mind, I wish I was doing this. Okay. So not all. Discontent makes me more selfish. I'm more likely to do the wish list versus the to do list. Very bitter. What did you say? I said it makes me more selfish. I'm more selfish. Likely to do what I want to do. Yeah. Selfish. Bitter, grouchy. Sitting there doing chores, and I wish I was able to go do something else, but I can't because yep. I gotta do dinner and I gotta clean the kitchen, so I can do dinner. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Our kids didn't have themselves. <laughs> 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 but it's one of the 
the things that just continues to create a list, right? So I had grouchy. Did y'all say grouchy? Okay, grouchy. That was on my list. Um, I had impatient. Was that on our list? Right. Um, frustrated, unproductive, ungrateful. Maybe let, let me add that one. Y'all said everything else I said, but so I have a list always on my notes in case y'all don't have a list. That way I can spur your list on. Um, but I try to use your list instead of my own list each time. But ungrateful, I think that's another one that. Uh, if I've got this list to do and I want to do this list, then all of a sudden I'll become ungrateful about anything in my day. Right? That's what discontentment does. It, it does a lot of things to us, right? But discontentment does these things to us at least. Right? It's, it's a powerful thing when it gets a hold of us. It's a powerful thing. I can remember uh, about 12 years ago, maybe I've told part of this, part of these journeys. Well, let me, let me do this. We have this. If I could, I would. That's what discontentment tells you. That's the lie of discontentment. If I could, and we fill in the blank, discontentment tells you, if I could do that, I would... Be happy, be satisfied, whatever it is, right? So discontentment tells us this story that says, if I could do one of the things on this list instead of the one thing that I have to do, right? Then these things would be undone. Is that the, is that the story of discontentment? Am I right or wrong, right? If I could engage in the things that I really wish I was doing, if I had the job that I really wish I had instead of the job that I do have or don't have, if I could spend my time doing the things that I enjoy doing instead of the things that I have to do, then I wouldn't be so grouchy and I would be more grateful. Discontentment tells us this story when it gets a hold of us. It tells you that if you could do one thing, then you would undo another thing. That's what it's telling us. Twelve years ago, we lived about a block and a half that way. Uh, I was a heat and air tech installing and repairing uh, air conditioners, which I would fix this one uh, if I were still a heat and air tech. Um, but 12 years ago, that's what I was doing. And, and I can remember a time when I had things that I had to do. I had to go to a job every day that I no longer wanted to go to. And when I went to the job, it was interesting. I had an increasing burden or passion to do uh, ministry. Right? If you're on the podcast, you can't see my quotes. Right. Whatever ministry is, I had this idea that that's what I needed to be doing. So it's really interesting to look back at my story and say that there was a job as uh, HVAC tech uh, that at one point I was really good at, and at one point I actually really enjoyed learning about. I mean, I was growing in my skill, growing in my knowledge, growing in my value to a company, and then all of a sudden, along in my journey, there became this passion, this burden, um, to do whatever I thought ministry was, and what I once found a lot of joy in, I now had a lot of discontentment in. And I would say that all these things became true for me. I became unproductive in something that I was once very productive It robbed me of the joy of something that I once very much enjoyed doing. Um, Quality of work dropped significantly because I was no longer thinking about what I was doing but what I wanted to do. And it's not a bad thing for me to want to do whatever this ministry was that I had on my mind. That wasn't a bad thing at all. That was a good thing. But the bad thing was that discontentment set in 
and all the fruit that comes along with it overcame me. All right? I believed that what I need to do today kept me from doing a better thing. That was the story that I was telling me. And I told myself that if I could only devote my time to ministry, if I could only devote my time to these studies, if I could only devote my time to these things that were going that direction, then all these things would be undone. And that was the story that I was telling myself. So, I'm about to share a message with you that 12 years ago, I don't know if it would have freed me or frustrated me. I don't know if I was in a place 12 years ago to hear what I'm about to share with you and to be freed by it. It might have just frustrated me more. So, I want to lay that out there, that some of you may be wrestling with discontentment right now, and what I'm about to share with you is either going to set you free or increase your frustration with me. It's one of the two. But I lay before you the opportunity, like we've talked about all the last number of weeks, you can increase your boldness, increase your freedom in Christ, increase your eternal treasure, Right. All the things that happen when you move closer to Christ and further away from where you began and your needle begins to move and all these things increase the closer you move to Christ, this is another opportunity for that to happen. But it's not an easy thing to move out of discontentment and move into freedom this morning. Because 12 years ago, I don't know if I would have received what I'm about to share with you. I don't know if I was ready. Um, So here we go. We're going to read in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read verses 18 through 20. Many of you know it as the Great Commission. Last thing that Jesus is recorded as saying in the book of Matthew. Last thing that Matthew records. Last thing that most of the writers of the Gospels record. Kind of Jesus is going away words to his disciples. But before we jump into that, we need to recap the circumstances. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Before we got to this point, these 12 men spent three and a half years with Jesus. They walked with him as his disciples and he was their rabbi. They literally followed in his footsteps everywhere he went watched every encounter, listened to every sermon, saw him interact with religious people, with sinners, with everybody in between, and they followed him in his life for three and a half years. They came to know that he was who he said he was. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world. And they came to believe that. They came to trust him, follow him, be hanging on his every word. And about when we get to the peak of the story, Jesus had been predicting it to them for a number of a number of times, but they a little slow to hear. They didn't really perceive that when he said the Son of Man will spend three days in the earth, they didn't understand it. That he will be handed over and he will be crucified. They didn't hear it. They didn't they didn't understand it, it didn't sink in. So when when Judas betrayed Jesus and handed him over to Rome and he was beaten and flogged and nailed to a cross and he bled out to the point of dying. They still didn't understand it. And they put him in the grave and they sealed the tomb and the guards were there and then after three days Jesus' body was no longer there. He'd gotten up, he folded his clothes nice and neatly, put them in the corner and he walked out. I don't know if he did that part, but that's what he did in the movie, right? Uh, so after three days, he, he is raised to life by the power of his heavenly Father. We call that the resurrection. He was beaten, crucified. 
three days later, raised to life. And then he appears over a period of 40 days to a number of people, hundreds of people, including his disciples. And here we have, at the end of that time, where he's appeared alive again to his disciples. He's about to leave them for the final time. Not the final time, actually, he's coming again. And he tells them that. We go prepare a place for you, and I'll return one day for all my people. Not just these 12, but all my people. He's coming again. But before he leaves, he tells them these final words. This is his last message to them as he ascends back to the Father and they watch him go. Right? So here he is, his final words at the end of that three and a half years. Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, I've joked with Sam over the last couple weeks that he is Mr. Hindsight. Some people have the spiritual gift of seeing what's already done and then explaining what could have been done right. Right, so that was our running joke on the table. It's like you always show up when it's too late, Sam. What are, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> but hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We always see better with hindsight. And, and I think in this particular situation, hindsight is not doing us any favors, because I think the way that um, we have always read this narrative. <coughs> skews the way that we apply this commission, this instruction. The way that we've always read the narrative of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and how the disciples went on from here to obey what he just said, I think we've read it in a way that skews the way that we apply what he's telling us here. Sometimes hindsight can, can, can put us in a very narrow spot where we don't see as broadly as we could. And I think that's what happens here when it comes to the Great Commission. We've we've read the narrative in a way that skews how we apply the instruction. And I think, hopefully, I can prove that to you in just a second. What was the short and long-term impact of these men obeying what Jesus just said? So Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that I have instructed you. Behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. Now go. What was the short-term impact and what was the long-term impact of these, at this point, 11 men receiving and obeying what Jesus just said? Short and long-term impact. Us, the church, right? Long-term impact is we exist as a church because these 11 men took what Jesus said very seriously and they obeyed it. Go make disciples. Ultimately, they said, do what I've done for you over the last three and a half years and I'll repeat that process so that all the world... And it's funny, Mark and I will run and we'll talk. A lot of things come out and runs. And... Um, one of the things that came out in one of our runs is I think for us, we have this vision of the church that's very Western, which is not wrong because that's where we live. We live in America, so we, we view everything out of this lens, but the fact of the matter is we are the ends of the earth. We are 2,000 years later. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, has been repeated over and over and over, so that a span of 2,000 years into the other side of the world, we exist. That's a long-term impact of these 11 men taking Jesus' instruction very seriously. Right? We are not where the church began. We are where 
the Great Commission has reached. What else? Short and long-term impact of these men. for what Sam just said. They were beaten. They were martyrs. They died for the faith because they went to repeat what Jesus had done and taught. These men died for their belief. They did not die as people who were trying to kill others. They died as people who were trying to help others. Right? They believed this so much that they were willing to share it to their death. What else? Anything else? I'm going to say short term. There was rapid multiplication. Right? The number of believers increased dramatically very quick. Right? As they went out from here, then within days, went from hundreds to thousands, thousands to tens of thousands. Right, And then we could still call it short term. Within a generation, the message of the gospel makes it to the entire Roman Empire. Which is two-thirds of the known world at that time. Within one generation, the gospel, the message of Jesus, makes it to two-thirds of the known world within one generation because of 11 men. How incredible is that? astounding that he would do that with such a small group of people. Right? Alright. So, the question that I, I have for us as we move ahead is kind of, how'd they do this? Let's see how they did this. Let's see how 11 men taking one instruction or all instructions and then taking it very seriously and going out from there. How does, how do, how does this like practically happen? Right? Um, so first part that Jesus said, what was the first word? Go. Go. Right? Jesus said, Go. Now, here's number one place I believe we have misapplied the Great Commission as believers and followers of Jesus. Go means going, having gone, or maybe better and best is as you go. As you go. As you go, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. I am with you to the end of the age now. I say it again, go. As you go. The interesting thing about this is, or the question that I have for us is, is, is where did they go and what did they do to accomplish the short and long term implications? Where did they go? I think, the answer may be a little bit enlightening for you. Where did they go? They went to the same house, the same town, went to the same holidays, and the same routines that they had before they received the instruction. They went back to the same house. In Acts chapter 1 verse 12 it says they returned to the house that they were staying at before they received that instruction. It says in Acts chapter 1 in the very next statement or in the previous, Acts 12 says they went back to the same town. Acts 1.13 says they went back to the same house. In Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says they went back and they celebrated the same holidays in the day of Pentecost that they were celebrating before. And in Acts chapter 3, it says, at the 
time of prayer, they went back to the same temple and the same routine and the same schedule that they were operating in before. When Jesus said go, they went and did all the same things in all the same places that they were doing before. You see, when Jesus says go, the going focuses on the one going, not the destination. That's what Jesus intended. He said, when Jesus says go, he's focused on the one going, not the destination. As you go. As you go. Right? It's not about you going to the specific place, the right place, the certain town, the certain city. It's about just the fact that you're going to go, and as you go, make disciples. And because they went to the same house, the same town, celebrated the same holidays, and went about the same routine, there was rapid multiplication in the number of believers within a number of days, weeks, and months. And within one generation, the entire, Rome, the entire Roman Empire had heard the gospel. They didn't go anywhere different. Because where they went was almost irrelevant. It was just the fact that they were going. And as they went, obey these instructions and obey these commands, multiply. The impact of your life and your contentment is not limited by any if coming true. The impact of your life, short term or long term, your contentment is not determined by any if statement coming true. It's simply what you decide to do where you are. That's it. What are you going to do where you are? Determines the impact of your life and whether or not you're content living there. Right? There is no if statement that is a cure-all for unproductivity and contentment. What will you do where you are? Eleven men changed the entire course of history by going to the same house, the same town, the same holiday, the same routine. Nothing in their life changed except for what they did when they got there. And they changed the entire course of history. Right? It's simply what you decide to do where you are. Derek, I told you that the alchemist came back. Whitney, you were haunting me. If you hadn't read the book, I'm going to give it away right now. We travel everywhere looking for our calling and for our purpose. We travel the world to find out everything. And your treasure is where you started. You find out that everything you're looking for was where you began. Sorry. (laughs) But I mean, as I read that, I'm like, when it comes to the Christian culture and the church and the way we view the Great Commission, you're like, when you see Jesus say, go, you're like, where are we going? You're there. Every purpose he has for you, every productivity and all contentment, can be found exactly where you're at. Now, as you are there, and as you go about your day, multiply, make disciples, and do what he's called you to do. It's not about your if statement. If I get that job and I get to go there, if I get to be a missionary and I get to go across the world, if I get to go be a part of the, if I get to do this, if I get this, if I get... None of that really is relevant when it comes to the productivity and your contentment. It's all about what you decide to do where you're at. Everything we long for can be found exactly where we are. 
if we're willing to make the best of it, right? Discontentment disguises the potential of your current reality. That's what discontentment does. Discontentment is a disguise. I can't spell that word. It's a disguise. It covers the potential of your current reality. And it says, you know what, Andrew? If you could change your current reality, so many things would get better. What that says is your current reality holds no potential. But there were 11 men who would argue that point until they're blue in the face because their current reality changed the course of history. When Jesus said go, they didn't go anywhere new. But as they went back to their current reality, as you go, the current reality that they lived in was incredible. And I think discontentment is a disguise for the potential of our current reality. The 11 remaining followers of Jesus decided to love. Does anybody know our three words when it comes to the vision of how we operate? Loving. Serving. Sent. I've actually changed that without telling anybody. I know. It's the same thing. It's the same message. But it makes more sense when I put them in order. Loving, serving, and proclaiming. We're loving each other and others as the Father has loved us. We're serving each other and others as the Son has served us. And we're proclaiming good news to each other and to others. And the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, those 11 men decided to do those three things in the most unlikely of places. In their hometown. In their hometown. They were loving, serving, and proclaiming good news in their hometown. And the course of history changed because of it. Right? Acts chapter 3. Does anybody remember that song when you were a kid? If you grew up in church, there was a song. Silver and gold have I none. Right, anybody, did anybody learn that when they were a kid? Okay. So that, that's based on Acts chapter 3. When Peter and John are walking to the temple at the time of prayer in their hometown, in their same routine, doing the same thing they did before they followed Jesus, continuing to repeat what was normal, but as you go, they decided to make disciples not wait on their circumstances to change. So when they're going to the temple at the time of prayer, there's a lame beggar who is sitting there, and he says, hey, give me some money, because that's what he does every day. How many years did they pass this man? But as they went today, they decided to listen to the words of Jesus and to obey them. And the lame beggar says, I want some money. And today, they determined to love others in the way that their heavenly father had loved them. So instead of looking away, they looked at him and they said, hey, look me in the eyes. Look at me. Look at me. I bet you every other day that they walk by that man, he says, I need some money. But they looked this way and they just kept walking. Same way you do when you sit at the stoplight with the beggar. Same way I do. <laughs> right? I wanted to call you out, but I'm calling me out too. Right? Because that's the, when people are looking at you and begging, you turn away. But these men, James or, or, or John and Peter today, they decided we're going to look at this man and we're going to love him as the Father loves us. Simply let people know that you are for them and not against them is to love them as the Father loves you. And today, that's how they loved him, and they served him. This is interesting. I've never paid attention to this. I've read this passage too many times. Loving looked like looking him in the eyes. Serving looked like taking him by the hand. It says, they said, Peter said, look at me, look at me. And, and the beggar looked him in the eyes and taking him by the hand. In the name of Jesus, he prayed for his healing. Serving simply looked like taking this beggar by the hand. 
in the same town, in the same routine that they had walked in for years. But today they were determined to obey the command of Jesus to make disciples. They didn't have to go anywhere new. They had to go to the same place they went every day. So loving was looking, serving was simply taking him by the hand and praying for his healing. And then after that, the town was in a stir and everybody's upset because this man who had sat there lame for years could now walk and he was well and he had been healed. And everybody's upset because Peter and John say it was simply in the name of Jesus whom you crucified that this man has been healed. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved other than the name of Jesus, the Son of God. Proclaiming good news is a natural overflow of loving and serving others. And it earned them the right to proclaim good news in their hometown and be heard that day. Peter and John didn't say, you know what? If we could just get to Rome, we could change the world. If we could just get to Rome, God could make a difference. Nope. They received their instruction. They went back to the same house in the same town in the same routine and celebrated the same holidays. And they saw a rapid transformation in their hometown because they decided to love, serve, and proclaim good news to each other and others. It's really astounding. Um, Thursday, I we got back from hiking and uh, I had to go up here, do something, and then I had to go get gas. Um, I had to fill up the kids' gas can so that they could ride their dune buggy, right? Important things in life. So I was up here at the gas station filling up, in my hometown nonetheless, filling up gas can. Took it out of my truck, started filling it up, and this girl, so I'm at this pump, and on the other side of the same pump, um, this girl sitting in her car, just kind of jokingly says, Hey, you could put some of that in my car. And a strange thing happened. A lot of times I would kind of blow that off and be like, Yeah, good idea, and look the other way. Um, But something compelled me this time to look towards her. I said, What's your name? She told me her name. I said, Where are you going? I'm trying to go to Lone Oak. So what's in Lone Oak? She said, nothing really. I said, then why are you going? She said, well, I live in my car. And there's more parking lots in Lone Oak, apparently. I think there's probably also contacts that she was probably trying to get to. But I said, how long have you been living in your car? Since November 18th, when my husband left me for another man. I said, well, that's unfortunate. able to pump a few gallons worth of gas into her car, which was probably not going to change her world, but I did give her one of our church cards and said, hey, if you can make it back to Benton by Sunday, come, be with us, let us see how we can help you, and we'll buy you lunch, and um, just see what happens, go from there. She kind of laughed. She said, huh, church of Tried everything else. Why not? (laughs) Why not, right? Uh, I didn't have to go overseas. I didn't have to go to another state. You stay in your hometown, right in the square in the middle of the Bible Belt. And instead of looking away, we look others in the eye we're willing to take others by the hand, I think we'll be astounded at the difference that God will allow us to make. So when Jesus said go, it wasn't really about where you go, it was about you being the one that goes as you go. I don't think he intended on us to really change our location. I think he intended on us to change our mentality. Right? 
Discontentment disguises the potential of your current reality. Now that goes for the Great Commission and that goes for whatever else you got going on in your life as well. That's a broad statement that you can apply to whatever you're going in your life right now. Lastly, last thing I got for you this morning is whatever you need to do today, whatever you put on your list, this is what I need to do today. Whatever you need to do today, every second is sacred. Every second is sacred. Not because of what you do, but who you do it with. Whatever you need to do today, every second of your life is sacred. Not because of what you do, but because of who you do it with. Jesus said, I'm with you always. He told those 11 men, as you go, I'm with you. Always, every second, every moment, every task. I'm with you. So we don't need to compartmentalize our life and say this one thing is more sacred than this one thing because every thing, every moment, every second is sacred because when you live by faith, you live in the presence of Jesus and He goes with you and He's for you and He's beside you and He's in front of you and He's behind you. He's with you. And when He's with you, every moment is sacred. What did, what did God tell Moses out of the bush? Take your... Take your Nikes off, Moses. Why? Why did, why did He command him to take his sandals off? Because the ground you stand on is holy. It's sacred. Why was it holy? Because the presence of God was there. Not because of anything else. But because of the presence of God in that place. That ground became holy. Whatever you have to do today, every second of it is sacred. Not because of what you do, but who you do it with. Jesus says, I'm with you always. So my final reflection is I was sitting studying for this today, yesterday, and what I'm doing on a daily basis right now is almost identical to what I was doing 12 years ago. Still working with my hands. My circumstances are almost identical to what they were 12 years ago. I get up, I get dressed, I get dirty, I come home, and after the work is done, I spend time studying and investing in ministry. It's very much the same pattern that I had 12 years ago. The unique thing is I'm finding so much more joy today in the work of my hands. Discontentment is a disguise For the potential of your current reality. My current reality is almost identical to what it was 12 years ago, but 12 years ago I was discontent. Somehow today, over the last 12 years, God has brought me to a very similar place and there's far greater joy in it today than there was then. Far greater joy than there was. I'm in the same town, almost in the same house, celebrating the same holidays in this same place, in my same routine, doing the same thing with far greater joy and far greater productivity. Because there's far greater contentment. The same routine has become much more meaningful than it was to me 12 years ago. Most of us don't need a change of scenery. 
We need a change of mind. Okay. Say that again. Most of us, you want to say that with me? Most of us don't need a change of scenery. We need a change of mind. I would say all of us, but there are some things in our life that we need to get in of or out of, right? Those things exist. But most of us, if it's not dangerous and it's just discontentment, we don't need a change of scenery. We need a change of mind. Because your discontentment is a disguise for the potential of your current reality. After 12 years, God's brought me back to the same current reality. (laughs) Very similar. That's why I said I don't think I could have handled this 12 years ago. It probably would have frustrated me to hear somebody say this to me 12 years ago. Josh, you you don't need to change the scenery. You just need a change of mind. God's called me. God's doing this. God's doing that. This is what I, I need to change. I need to go. I need, when Jesus gave me this commission to go, and I need to go, and I need to change the scenery. So it's not really about where you're going. It's about who you're going with and who's going. It, tried to move. I've tried to leave. I've tried to run. And here we are in our hometown in the same house, same town, same routine, celebrating the same festivals in this same downtown. And I think God's saying that you're where you've always supposed to be. Just need a little change of mind as you stay there. Two questions to end with you. Number one, where have you been discontent? That you can, where have you been discontent that you can say right now that Jesus has been with you? What area of your life have you been discontent, but you can honestly say, you know what, even though I'm discontent, Jesus, He's been with me in this. Pursuing, making hobbies into professions and my passions, using them, whether it's music or something else, discontent because I don't have this, I don't have that. What's your if I could? (laughs) It's really if I could. It's a free general. Like if, if everything would work out the way I think it should work out, then I would be content. I mean, but like, like it's hard to say that because like, lately I'm starting to see that like that I, I think more of like where I am now is where I'm supposed to be, and that there's starting to be contentment. Mm-hmm. It's kind of scary that I am starting to lose sight of what's, what I've been driving toward for so long. Because the more I, I guess, just Embrace being here, like in this area, and then what we're doing here. It's like I'm, I think this is more. I'm finding more joy in that than mm-hmm. than what could be elsewhere. It's beginning. It's been a disguise for the potential of your current reality, and 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 the passions and the giftings that you have are not irrelevant. They just apply differently than what you hoped they would. Right. So, what's your discontentment that you can actually say Jesus has been with me in that? at least one more from a different house. Maybe you're just discontent and you can't identify how he's with you in this. And you're just willing to say, you know what? 
still just discontent. Don't know what he's doing in this. Don't know where he's present in it. I woke up, I told Shelly, I woke up this morning anxious, and I feel like I went backwards three months in one night. Like I went to bed at complete peace, and I'm like, the process we're in is good, I'm excited about the word I have tomorrow, everything's great, we're going forward, this and that, I'm just completely at peace, and then within one night, I woke up, I don't know if I dreamed it or what happened in my sleep, but I woke up anxious, and I felt like I did three months ago, and I'm like, what just happened? And I had to tell myself again that whatever happened in my sleep is not accurate, and that's not what's going on, right? You gotta, you gotta fight that battle. So the same thing. It's like, yeah, there, there's, it wants to return, right? The discontentment, that anxiety wants to wants to come back. So, uh, so the last question for you. Um, we just said, where have you been discontent that Jesus has been with you? What is he doing that you've not been celebrating? Right? Even if you're discontent, what is Jesus doing? And instead of celebrating it, I've been mourning in my discontentment. So now's the time that we say, this is what he's been doing, even though I'm discontent, even though I'm still frustrated, even though... All these things are going on inside of me. Let's right now recognize this is what Jesus has been doing as he's been with me. And instead of mourning, we're going to be celebrating. So what's he been doing that you haven't been celebrating? It's been shifting the pieces of my life to where I feel I've wanted it to be. And I've been blessed in the areas that like I've been searching for. And uh, praying about, but a lot like Stephen, like I get discontent with, uh, like I'm limited by my gear, and if I could have all of this, then I could be making better this, and that would speed up the process into getting my foot in the door and to be able to do X, Y, Z. But those pieces are already playing out, and I'm just not being patient enough to yeah. receive them. Yeah, and I think I think our endurance is enhanced by celebrating. You got to teach me not to do that, Stephen. So, you're. I think I'm correct when I'm saying if you want to increase in patience, celebrate the victories that he's accomplishing for you right now. Instead of, isn't that weird how we can like, God wins a victory in our life, and we're like, I've been praying about that for months, and now he's given me these opportunities and put me in these relationships with these places and these people, and he's doing it. And instead of celebrating it, I'm going to move down the list and say, but I don't have this. But he hasn't done this. But now I'm not prepared for this. It's like, can, let's throw a pity party. No, let's not throw a pity party. Let's throw a party for what Christ is doing. And as we celebrate these things, it increases our endurance to wait on more things. Right? So right now, we celebrate. Dude, you got some really cool opportunities. Right? Ever since we met you, you've been dreaming about the opportunities that you've been given right now. Right? You were given an opportunity to work half a month. And then you're like, well, what am I going to do the rest of it? Well, now you got an opportunity to 
invest the time the other half of the month. It's like, how does that happen? Just celebrate good, God's grace and giving you these gifts right now, right? There are things that you don't have, but if he has a future in it, he'll give you those things as well. Celebrate the victories along the way. Derek, you had something? Which is not the Holy Scriptures. The alchemist is not the Holy Scriptures. I would just really get to talk to her and like minister to her, you know, and I'll sit there and also complain to her and be like, God, I hang with my mom all the time, you know, and she's like, it makes her feel bad or whatever. I'm like, she understands what I'm thinking and all that. She's not, I'm not just like berating my mom or anything like that. But it's like, I do realize that, you know, I am that way. It's like not everybody gets to minister to their mom or Mm. like be around in that way and like, I don't know, it's like it, I do like occasionally fall back and look at it like that and be like, wow, it's like it's a pretty incredible opportunity. I obviously, yeah. you know, not going anywhere here in terms of returning to my house, you know, and mm. I work with what I got and I just, you know, if I'm sitting at the house by myself, I'm like, well, I'll go over there and talk to her, you know, and mm. she, I know she enjoys that. It's like, and I've really been trying to take advantage of that and realizing, you know, it's, that's something I, I feel like I should celebrate more instead of thinking like, God's put you in a unique place in a unique season to, to have unique blessings through your family and discontentment disguises the potential of your current reality, right? And it, it hides it from you and you chase other things and you miss these things. Right? For the past two years, we've been trying to, before we planted this church, it's like where God's called us to start a church. And we looked on Google Maps and said, where are we going? Jesus said, go. Never would have dreamed that he would have put us two generations back in the same building that my grandpa had a store in, right? It's like, going doesn't mean leaving. Going doesn't mean leaving. It means as you go, let's do these things. Let's do these things. Going is more about the one going than the destination. It's more about you. It's more about me. And how we utilize what we've been given, where we're at, and where we think we need to be. And all of us are placed in a position right now. All of us. Right? In unique places, unique situations. And if God wants you to move out of those, He'll move you out of those. But if He wants us to learn to utilize those, He may leave us in them for a little while longer. Let's maximize the potential of where we're at. I live next door to my mom, too. <laughs> and I'm 39. But when you're 39, you have four kids. That is awesome. Kids, go to Nan's. Run down the driveway. Get out of here. I don't know. I hope this helps you in some way this morning. I hope it does. What do you need to do today? Whatever you need to do today, it's sacred. Not because of what you're doing, because you're who you're doing it with. Jesus is with you as you go about every day, not just coming in here on Sunday. That makes every second of every moment and every activity sacred. Full of purpose, full of meaning. And if we don't go discontent in the monotony of life, it can be full of joy as well. Okay? Not where I thought this talk was going when I looked at Matthew 28. But I think it's good for us. I do. We pray, and then we will. Uh, we got a couple projects. Shelly's going to get pizza, maybe? Okay. So if you got time to stick around, stick around. Eat some cheap pizza with us and provide your services as we knock out a couple projects. Once again, we're getting ready for April 7th.
to be kind of an official kickoff day in this space. Hopefully we'll have everything kind of organized and ready to go. So April 7th, hopefully this week I can print out some things so that we can mail some invites so that you can hand some official invites for that Sunday, right? Kickoffs, kind of like if you're talking about restaurants, grand openings, whatever you want to call them. Churches don't use that word very often because it sounds kind of weird. But those are good opportunities for people to come without any risk, right? You're not asking people to join. Just come help us celebrate the beginning of this new season in in this location, right? So uh, we should invite, 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 invite April 7th. We want to get people to celebrate with us that day. Then we got Easter. We'll be here, Bridgetown, coming here to celebrate Easter with us, whatever weekend Easter is. But that'll be here, two churches, one location, on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. Okay? Easter's, or April is a big month for us. Big month. So, cool. Let's pray. We'll get the projects lined up. Father, I thank you for this morning, for what you've shown us from the words of your Son, that we are to go and to make disciples.